everyone. Are you all all right? (laughs) You really are quiet this morning. You really are quiet. Um, Well, I think I might be about to wake you up because I realised as I looked over the talk this morning, I think I'm about to attempt to do the entire book of Esther in like 20 minutes. So it's going to be pacey. So so get ready because um, I will be paraphrasing a lot of the Bible. So in advance, I apologise if I offend you. Please don't email me that I haven't quoted exactly right because I'm going to paraphrase a lot. But I'm going to tell you about an incredible man this morning who, as I've looked into his life, has really challenged me, and I hope it will challenge you as well. So if you've been around the last couple of weeks, you will see that we've been doing a series called Big People. Now, this is because we are hungry and passionate here that we don't grow a big church, that that's not the aim. Like, we're not here to grow a big church. But what we do want is to see a community of big people rising up. And what we mean by that is not that we're bringing the donuts back and we're going to start feeding everyone up. What we mean by that is big people are people that step into growing moments. They step up at the right moment. They know God inside out and they step up and change the world around them. And the people that we're looking at in this series over the summer are not the big characters in the Bible, because what we want to show is that big people are, more often than not, everyday people. They're just everyday, normal people like you and like me. And that is available to all of us. And so that is what this series is about, and I'm hoping that you will see a little bit of yourself and some opportunity in the character that I'm going to talk about today. So we have been talking about Chris Kay looked at the unlikely hero of Rahab, and then Chris T last week looked at Jonathan and his incredible friendship with David. And what we're looking at when it comes to becoming a big person is it often happens through two things. The first is it happens through process, the everyday, the going through the everyday, the learning, the gathering wisdom, the getting experience, and then there tends to come a crisis moment, a moment where something happens, something changes, and you draw upon all the things you've learned in the process up to there. And very often what we see with these characters is that they have been through a lot of process before the crisis point comes, and they're ready. We can't suddenly wake up one day and be a big person. That's something that I'm, I am so aware of. We can't suddenly just wake up and be, you know, something crisis hits. We haven't really lent into God. We haven't learned what he's like. We haven't learned about wisdom, and then suddenly we've got wisdom. That doesn't really happen that way. It comes through process first, or training is another word for it. And this is definitely true of my man today, and I'm going to be talking about Mordecai. Now, Mordecai is a man whose story is told in the book of Esther. really encourage you to just go and read the book of Esther. It's not that long, but you will be able to get a lot more context from reading the whole thing. And in true three-point sermon style, I've been off the platform for a while, so I thought I'd come back in a traditional sense with three points, I've decided to talk about three things we can learn from this man, which is he stepped up, he showed up, and he raised others up. And those are the things I want to just focus in on today. Now, when it came to this series, 
we all got to choose in terms of we allocated who was speaking on what days, and we got to choose our person. And immediately, I knew Mordecai was my man. And the reason I knew this is because recently we have had the absolute privilege of spending a little bit of time with a guy called Paul Manwaring. And Paul is somebody who um, was a psychiatric nurse originally. Then he was a prison governor in the UK for many, many years. Uh, God called him and his wife over to California, where they were on the leadership team of a huge church there. And then God has relocated them and brought them back to the UK. And we had a chance to catch up with him um, and have an hour of his time, Chris and I, on Zoom, which was uh, like one of those things where there's bombs in your head. Like you turn the screen off at the end and it's like... um, It was absolutely brilliant. But there was something he said in that call where he talked about God revealing something of his own calling to him through Mordecai. And he used this phrase. He said that God said to him that Mordecai was an adopter of orphaned influences. And that just jumped out for me. Mordecai was an adopter of orphaned influences. And actually, that is something Paul felt God was also inviting him into. So who is this man? Who is Mordecai? Well, as I said, we hear about him in Esther. And the first thing we hear about him is his moment of stepping up. And we know this because when his cousin Esther's parents had died, in chapter 2, verse 7, it says this, he adopted her into his family and raised her as his own daughter. Now, the star of the show in this book is Esther, unsurprisingly. It's the title of the book. This book is all about Esther. But let's not underestimate where Esther came from and how she ended up being the woman that she became. And it started here, I believe, where he adopted her into his family and raised her as his own daughter. Now, we don't know why. We don't know why it was him and not somebody else. The Bible doesn't tell us that. I've got loads of questions about that, but the Bible just doesn't tell us. But what I do know is that stepping up to raise a child that is not your own is not an easy business. It takes responsibility. It takes courage. For Mordecai at the time, there would have been a financial burden to him as well to take on another daughter. There would have actually been the element of feeding and clothing her, let alone the time invested in teaching her and guiding her and steering her. So it's no easy task But Mordecai stepped up, and he said yes. There must have been a moment where he too would have been grieving the loss of his family members, and he sees his cousin, and he says, pick me, I'll raise her. And I think sometimes we can gloss over verses like this in the Bible, you know, and then he adopted her into his family and raised raised her as his own daughter, the end. But let's just stand in his shoes just for a minute. In that moment where he, ha- he realized, yeah, I'm going to do this. I'm going to take Esther on as my own daughter and raise her. He stepped up. And what was the context of what he did and how he raised her? Well, it all comes in chapter 1. And this is the bit where I'm going to terribly summarize a whole chapter of the Bible very quickly, so hold on to your seats. So, there's a guy called Xerxes. He's the king. He has this 
massive party, like a 180-day celebration. This guy liked to party a lot. At the end of that, he has a seven-day banquet, as if the 180-day celebration wasn't enough. He has a seven-day banquet. The Bible even specifies that he put no limits on drinking. So it tells you something about the kind of banquet this was, right? That it actually goes to the trouble in quite a short section of specifying no limits on drinking. It was all about opulence and wealth, massive banquet. He then calls for his queen, Vashti. I was saying to Chris last night, I was like, do you think Vashti was the first feminist? Um, Because basically what happens is he calls for her and says, come and parade your beauty in front of the men. And it says that he was drunk on wine, he was high on wine, and then basically he calls for the queen to parade her beauty in front of the men. And she says, no. Now, this is no small thing. This is a big deal, because you don't say no to the king. You just don't do that. So jump forward, she says no. (laughs) This is the bit that really made me laugh. All the advisors go into a massive panic because what if other people hear that she said no and then all the wives start saying no to their husbands? Disaster! Women will be saying no to their husbands all over the place. Everything will go to ruin. We must do something about this. So what they then decide to do is put a decree out that banishes Vashti, the queen, and this is the brilliant bit. The the wording of this is so good in the NIV. And they make a decree that all men will be the leaders of their own household and can say what they please. (laughs) How good is that? There's so many men sitting here like, mustn't laugh, mustn't smile, mustn't mustn't show any nodding at any point here. Uh, Any men wishing they were living in that time? you know, where basically you could say what you please at all times. So what happens is Vashti's banished, men get to lead their households again, hurrah, but the king needs a new queen. So he effectively does like a beauty contest where he sends out this message to all the beautiful virgins in the land are brought to him and they are given a period of time of beauty treatments to get them ready for the king and then he's going to pick his queen. And that's where we pick up from here with Mordecai. So Esther, by this point, the theologians think she may be around 18. There's a lot of disagreement about her age, but we're going to go with 18. And she gets chosen as a beautiful virgin to go to be beautified, ready to be presented in this contest, effectively, to become queen. And it's interesting here because what happens is she keeps a secret of great significance. She turns up and she is given great favor, but in verse 10 it says, Esther had not told anyone of her nationality and family background, she was a Jew, because Mordecai had directed her not to do so. So it wasn't her own decision. Mordecai, who had fathered her and taught her, had said, whatever you do, don't tell them you're a Jew. So she had kept this a secret. Skip forward, turns out she's the winner of the contest. Whoop, whoop. He loves her. He thinks she's the best. He decides she's going to be the queen. And then in verse 20, we hear she's still holding this secret. It says, but Esther has kept secret her family background and nationality, just as Mordecai had told her to do, for she continued to follow Mordecai's instructions as she had done when he was bringing her up. Now, this tells you something about this man. This tells you something about how seriously he took fathering. 
is that he was able to instill in her such value and wisdom and that he was to be revered and respected that even when she was outside of his physical influence, she was outside of his household, she was in a whole new chapter of life, she is still following his wisdom and his advice. And I don't know if you will agree with this, but I think we are in a bit of a dangerous shift in society at the moment where we have stopped revering and respecting our older generations. We have stopped saying in a moment of decision-making, what would you do? And instead, we seem to be in a culture shift where younger generations are coming through being taught, you know best. And there's a real sadness for me because I think where we see Esther is clearly really listened to Mordecai. She's still following his ways even when she's not with him. We now live in a world where very often if a young person has a big decision to make, they will go to TikTok or Instagram for the answer rather than going and seeking out a grandparent or a parent or somebody who is older and wiser that they can sit with and say, what would you do? Because we have this instant, instant, instant culture. If you want to know an answer, you go to Google, right? That's where you go. Like, if you want to know what to do, go to Google and you'll find someone who will agree with the thing you want to do. It's not hard to find someone who agrees. At the moment, I'm doing a, um, a trial of uh, being gluten-free. Man, it's hard. Turns out, I love bread. <laughs> like, it turns out, I really love pizza. All of these things. Who knew I really love breaded chicken? KFC is like an absolute grief for me right now. Anyway, what I have found is that if I go and search, should I go gluten-free, very easy for me to find someone that says, no, you should eat the KFC. Like, it's really easy, but is that good? Is that the right thing for me to do? Not necessarily, but I can find loads of voices that will agree with me. And that's what the internet does. It's just this instant advice machine. But it's not wisdom and counsel. And what Mordecai shows us is what fathering looks like. Fathering looks like counsel and wisdom and teaching and training so that Esther knows how to live. So... We jump forward and we look at this man who has stepped up to adopt Esther. He has trained her. She has placed herself under him and that she has wanted to learn from him. And I would, I would suggest at this point that if you are a younger person here or at home listening and you, have not, you haven't placed yourself under somebody who is godly and knows the Lord and has wisdom, then you're really missing out. And I would also suggest that if you are someone here who is not a young person, and you can put your own category on that, that you have the opportunity to step up and to father and to mother some of these young people who need a place of wisdom and guidance and counsel to go to. What would it look like in our society if the leaders of our politics, our health service, our social care provision, our mental health services, our education services, what would it look like if the leaders of those things were godly, kingdom-centered people? I honestly believe the whole world would change. If we had people in those positions of leadership and authority who knew the Holy Spirit, that's a game changer. Everything changes. But I do worry that there are the people 
who are waiting to step into these positions, who don't have mothers and fathers spiritually who can take them to that place. Because that level of authority and leadership comes with great responsibility. And you need a mum and a dad, and you need a grandfather and a grandmother to be able to do that. And Mordecai shows us just how important that is. How did it manifest? It manifested for him in showing up. And there's a brilliant verse. Chapter 2, verse 11 says, so she's gone to the palace. Every day he walked back and forth near the courtyard of the harem to find out how Esther was and what was happening to her. Every day. He didn't say, not my responsibility anymore. Esther, I wish you all the best. Take what I've taught you and go and do great things. And you're on your own. He didn't do that. Every day. Every day. He went and walked near where she was to find out how she was. That is the power of showing up. And for me, it is a beautiful picture of what God is like as a father. I think sometimes we think that God can give us a calling and a moment of an invitation into something, and then we can feel like he kind of steps back and lets us get on with it. But I can tell you this, if God's invited you into something that feels scary or unfamiliar or uncertain, every day he is walking to see how you're doing. Every day he's coming to you to see how you are and to hear how you're doing and to be there for you and to be present for you. And as I spent time preparing this, I felt like God give me this, which is showing up doesn't mean being perfect. It means being present. Showing up doesn't mean being perfect. It just means being present. And I think for our own children, if you have biological children, for your spiritual children, for fostered and adopted children, showing up doesn't mean you need to have all the answers. It doesn't mean you have to get it right every time. But it does mean be present. Make yourself available like Mordecai. Walk the gates every day if that's what it takes to show those children that you are still available to guide them and steer them. And it turns out that Mordecai's showing up was pretty catalytic to what happened next. It says this in verse 21. During the time Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, became angry and conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. But Mordecai found out about the plot, why? Because he'd showed up, and told Queen Esther, who in turn reported it to the king, giving credit to Mordecai. And when the report was investigated and found to be true, the two officials were impaled on poles. And all of this was recorded in the book of the Annals of the Presence of the King. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) The end. And then they were impaled on poles. The end. Um, So what happened? He kept showing up and he becomes party to this conspiracy. And he does the right thing. And he tells the queen. And he gets recorded as being... Uh, as having it attributed to him that he effectively has saved the king's life, which is very significant later. So what happens next is like something out of a blockbuster film. The king appoints Haman as his right-hand man. Now, this is the point, if we were in Panto, that you can all boo. Haman's like, boo, he's a really nasty... Well, 
I'm sure Jesus loved him. But um, Haman's not a good guy in this story. So Haman becomes right-hand man. He wants everybody to bow to him. By now, Mordecai's become one of the royal officials. Everyone at the gate bows to Haman apart from Mordecai. Now, I would love to have watched this unfold. That Haman walks in, everyone bows. <laughs> I have this image of Mordecai like, like almost like twiddling his thumbs. Or did he do the defiant stare, like not bowing? Basically, Mordecai is a Jew and he's like, I will not bow down to you. You are not worthy of me bowing down. And he refuses. Now, Haman does not like this. He is furious and, to me, goes a little bit to the extreme in what he decides to do. So Mordecai, standing up again, he's standing up for what's right, refuses to bow down. Haman goes to the king and says, he finds out he's a Jew, goes to the king and says, there's these people that don't do the things that the other people do. They don't follow our customs, they don't follow our rules, and I think we should eliminate them. So not just Mordecai, the whole Jewish people. Men, women, children, everyone, let's get rid of them. And the king says, sure, I'll sign that off. So at this point, news reaches Mordecai that his whole people are about to be wiped out on a specific day. And this chapter 4, verse 1 says, When Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the city, wailing loudly and bitterly. This is a man who knows what it is to know what justice is like, what injustice is like. He recognizes the significance of this moment. He knows how to align his heart with grief, and he's not afraid to show it. And message gets to Esther that this beloved Mordecai, her cousin, is in this state. And so she sends someone to say, what is going on with Mordecai? And the message comes back from him saying, the king is going to wipe out all of our people. You must go to him and beg for mercy. And Esther is terrified. Because in that time, you didn't go into the king's presence unless you were invited. And she had not been invited. And she was absolutely terrified. Now, if ever there was a process and crisis moment, it's this one. She's been prepared her whole life, but suddenly it's just got real. And she's going to have to risk her life. And in this moment, Mordecai steps into that last thing, raising up. He elevates her courage. He calls out the destiny in her. And he raises her up. And it's one of the most well-known verses in this book in the Bible. And he sends a message back saying this. Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape with all the other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this. This, for me, is the moment Mordecai really steps into that growing moment. At a time where all she can see is fear, all she can see is impossibility, he effectively sends a message that calls out the destiny in her, that says, this is what you were born for. And in my experience, there are few things that really only can fall to 
like be summed up as the heart of a father, there's something about this which is fathering for me. To effectively hold her around the face and say, don't look at your fear. This is who you were born to be. This moment is your moment to step into. And I feel like, had it not been for Mordecai, who knows whether Esther would have had the courage to step in and do what she did. But it was because of him, he overwhelmed her fear with the truth of her God-given identity. And we live in a world where there are young people and older people all through our society that need to have their God-given identity called out of them. The world needs Mordecais that are willing to step up, to show up, and to raise people up by calling this stuff out of them. Maybe it's a son or daughter about to make a decision to stand up against the status quo of the society we live in, and they feel terrified because everyone else in their class, all of their friends are doing this one thing one way, and they feel like, I just don't want to do it that way. That's the moment they need a Mordecai to hold their face and say, you've got this and I'm showing up and I'll be here every day showing up while you do this. Maybe it's a a young person or again an older person receiving a calling from God for the first time that feels overwhelming or impossible. They need a Mordecai. They need someone that will stand with them and say, this sounds like God to me. This is okay. You're going to be okay. This sounds like him. I'm with you. I'm never going to leave you. I'm going to keep showing up for you as you step into it. Maybe it's a child in care who's got a legacy of trauma and rejection, and they need a Mordecai to become a father to them, to say, I see you. You belong. I love you. I am for you, and I'm going to keep showing up for you. It might be a young parent who is drowning in the the demands of nappies and babies and toddlers and, as Jonathan described, screaming in supermarkets. They need a Mordecai that says, you're doing a good job. Maybe you were born for this. It doesn't mean that just because you're terrified, it doesn't mean that you're outside of God's plan. Maybe you just need a Mordecai to hold you in the face and say, this is what you were born for and to call it out of you. And it's interesting for me that the raising up part of the story for Mordecai wasn't just about destiny. Because when he went, that message came back to Esther of maybe you were born for this. The first thing she does is she calls a three-day fast. And she says, go back and tell the Jews to fast for three days. Now, why would she do that? Who taught her to do that? Who taught her that when you're facing an impossible situation and you need to contend for a supernatural breakthrough, fasting is one of the tools in your belt to use? Who taught her that? Mordecai. Almost certainly. It would have been him. So it wasn't just about destiny. He gave her the tools of how to live a risk-taking life with God as father. And the end of the story goes... Esther's welcomed by the king when she takes courage and goes and shows up. Haman gets his comeuppance. There are poles involved. I'll leave it at that. And Mordecai gets promoted to effectively be prime minister. He gets the second-in-command role. 
So having raised someone else up and elevated their calling all along and taken a back seat effectively, his moment to have his own power and influence comes because of the way he fathered. And what I want to finish with really is an invitation to us all, which is if the world needs more Mordecais and I don't know the female equivalent, Mordekina, should we call them those? Mordekais and Mordekinas. Like, we all have a part to play. We all have a part to play. And we need to look for those people in our own lives. The, the message of the world that says, go it alone, you know best, is toxic. It is so toxic. And it will lead to destruction, I think. Because we were just not designed to go it alone and to know best. It's not what's woven into us. So my invitation to us now is this. Who are we placing ourselves under that when something happens and we have big decisions to make or we're feeling a lack of courage or a lack of faith, who are we going to and asking, what would you do? Can you just tell me what you'd do? Give me your counsel. Give me your wisdom. Who are we doing that with? Let's stop being so proud. Let's stop being so proud and actually have the courage to go to people and say, I'm not sure I'm making great choices and I could really do with some help. But second to that, who are we mentoring? Who are we adopting as orphaned influencers? Because it just tells us, maths tells us, that the next prime minister in 20 years is only little now. They're somewhere. We don't know who they are. The next head of the NHS in 20 years is little now. We don't know who they are. We don't know who the next educational leaders are. We don't know who the next world leaders are. But we do know they exist within our society now. But what if they need you? What if they need you to walk with them, to show up, to teach them how to do the things of God, to how to take a risk and put your hands on people and pray for them to be well, to learn about fasting and interceding and prayer. If you don't teach them and if you don't adopt them, who will? And if you don't, then the world will adopt them and the world will influence them. And the world will guide them and steer them into a very different story to the one that God is written, God has designed on the inside of them. So what I'm going to invite us to do is just to stand and we're going to pray as we finish. And what I would love you to do is just to think just for a second of somebody who you feel like you could approach in this next week to ask for their counsel and wisdom. Maybe you've got a Mordecai in your life already, in which case, great. And then I'm going to ask you to think of, of asking God to show you who you could step into that place for. But know this, it is not a short-term, easy answer. If you take on a role of a Mordecai, it's not a six-month job. Showing up means showing up over a long period. So, Father, we invite you to come by your Holy Spirit now and show us, open our eyes, our spiritual eyes up right now to know who would you invite us to place ourselves under? Who do you, who have you put around us who has wisdom and knowledge and insight into your ways? 
who we can call upon for that kind of wisdom. And Father, we also ask you to open our eyes up to see how we can be like Mordecai and step into this position for children, for young people, for older people, but just somebody who we can step into that place for, who we can become an adopter of orphaned influences for. Maybe that is in our workplaces, in our schools, in our Uh, social activities. Maybe it's within this community, in AV Kids, in AV Youth. Maybe it's at the Beehive. Maybe it's at Renew. Maybe it's in Headstrong. Father, I pray that you would run a highlighter for us over the area that you are beckoning us into for us to step up and show up and raise up an incredible generation of people who will change the world and change the course of history just like Esther did because of Mordecai. Thank you, Father. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast today, and we hope you enjoyed it. For more information, visit ashfordvineyard.org or maybe drop into something if you're nearby. In the meantime, have a great week and know just how loved you are.